I want to introduce to you a special friend of mine that I have met over the last several weeks, and uh, um, uh, this just uh, this person has just touched my heart in such a way that um, I just every time I look at him, I just want to go, Nancy, can we adopt this little boy? I want y'all to meet Noah. Have y'all met Noah, little boy down here? Noah, come here, buddy. I want him to meet you. Turn around right here. Can y'all see this handsome young man? I'm telling you what, if I had a personality like this, y'all would all like me. This is Noah. This is Noah. He is here every Sunday, and I just met his mother for the, uh, I, I, I didn't know this, she came over to, to me during the visitation time, and she says, do you remember me? And I went, your face is familiar, but I'm Sorry, I really don't, I'm, to be honest. I said, what's your name? She said, Angela. And she said, you baptized me years ago, and we moved to Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and we've moved back here. And then she told me she is Noah's mama. So Noah, thank you for being here with us today, buddy, and uh, you continue loving Jesus, okay? All right, man. <clears throat> And he's a front row Baptist. Good. <laughs> All right. Um, today, as I shared with you last Sunday, we are starting a new series within our greater series of messages through the letter of Galatians. And this message will be about 10 weeks long. We're going to cover each one of the fruit uh, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And as we go through this series, I want us to answer the question, what does a person look like or act like when he or she is walking in the Spirit? Or how do we know when we, uh, when we are walking in the Spirit and when we aren't? walking in the Spirit. How do we know that? We, we hear it uh, talked about in the Bible, the, the word to walk in the Spirit or by the Spirit. What does that look like? How do I know when I am and when I'm not? Well, uh, Paul lays it out for us here in Galatians chapter 5. Look in verse 22, where he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, when we see the fruit of the Spirit in a person's life, we know without a doubt that the Holy Spirit has custody over that life. His or her life is characterized by these virtues, these nine virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The best picture of what a spirit-filled life uh, looks like is Jesus himself. As a follower of Christ, you and I are to uh, look like Jesus. Well, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us in order to reproduce his life, the life of Christ, through us. So everything that was in Jesus, he wants 
to produce in you and me as his followers. So Jesus' life was characterized by each of these virtues. That's what I uh, we want to talk about in this series of messages on the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning, we're going to start with the first fruit, and that is love. The first of these nine virtues. Now, there's a lot of confusion today about what love is. There are more songs that have been written about love than any other topic. Here's a few of the songs that I thought of, and you, I, I'm dating myself, so when I share some of these songs, so you, you young people just excuse me if I leave out some of the more uh, familiar songs to you, um, but I remember years ago, I didn't even like the song, but the Partridge family sang, I think I love you. I hated that song. <laughs> Olivia Newton-John confessed, I honestly love you. Justin Bieber wrote, I just need somebody to love. The Beatles said, all you need is love. Elvis crooned, love me tender. Stevie Wonder sang, just called to say, I love you. Ray Charles, I can't stop loving you. Air Supply admitted they were all out of love. <laughs> Kenny Rogers begged Ruby, don't take your love to town. Tim told Faith, it's your love. And Taylor Swift wrote a love story. Dolly wrote and Whitney sang, I will always love you. Jackie DeShannon said it best when she sang, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. You know, some songs ask questions about love. The spinners asked, could it be I'm falling in love? Jefferson Airplane, don't you want somebody to love? Tina Turner asked, what's love got to do with it? The Bee Gees wanted to know, how deep is your love? And Elton John put on a Lion King DVD and asked, can you feel the love tonight? Hadaway summed it all up best by saying, what is love? That's a great question. What is love? That's what I want to talk about this morning as we start this series of messages on the fruit of the Spirit um, uh, that begins with love. Here's what I want you to take from the message this morning, and that is love is the greatest characteristic of a follower of Christ. As we begin our study on the fruit of the Spirit, and we begin with this first virtue of love, it is the greatest characteristic of a true believer. There are three points I want to make regarding love this morning. As I said to you last week, I am not by nature a topical preacher. I preach systematically, uh, expositional uh, messages, expository messages, uh, verse by verse uh, through the Bible. But in this series of expositional messages through Galatians, we're going to cover each one of these virtues that Paul lists here in Galatians 5.22 as the nine virtues or characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And th this morning, um, as we think about love, I want us to think about three uh, 
points uh, with regard to the issue of love. First of all, I want you to look at the fact that love produces the other fruit. Now, in the English language, we have one word for love. We use the same word when we say we love God, I love my wife, or I love the beach. We use the same English word. However, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And one of the most, Koine was one of the most expressive languages in the entire world. And there are four different Greek words for love. First, there is eros, which is sexual attraction um, or passionate love. Um, uh, that is based on physical attraction. It also includes romantic love. Eros never appears in the New Testament. The Song of Solomon paints the best example of this kind of love. Um, another word for love is storge, or family affection. This is the love that exists naturally between family members, between husbands and wives, or between parents and children. This is the love that is displayed in many stories in the Bible, such as uh, the story of Noah, or Jacob, or Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus. A third word for love is phileo, that is friendship love, now this, uh, or brotherly love. This love is most often shown um, within close friendships because it's a combo, the, and it's, um, the city of Philadelphia uses this word. Um, uh, the word phileo means um, love, Delphos means brother, so therefore you get the city of brotherly love. Um, <clears throat> now, this is kind of a generous, affectionate love that seeks to uh, make the other person happy with no expectation for anything in return. In other words, um, I love my friend, I love this person, I'd do anything for them, not because I'm expecting them to do something in return just because they're my friend. Um, David and Jonathan are one of the Bible's best examples of phileo love within a friendship. First Samuel chapter 18 verse 1 describes their friendship and says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So that's phileo love. But then the next word for love that I want you to see is agape. That's sacrificial love. This is the love that is mentioned most in the Bible, including here in this list of uh, virtues of the fruit of the Spirit. C.S. Lewis groups the first three kinds of love, the eros, the phileo, and the storge, as need loves. I need to be loved in those ways. But he called agape gift love. Agape love is sacrificial love. It's the most powerful, 
type of love because it is an act of the will. I choose to love you, not just because I like you, not just because you are related to me. Um, in fact, this is the kind of love that loves even its enemies, even those who mistreat us. This is an act of the will. I choose to love you regardless. Christ showed agape love when he died on the cross for those of us who were his enemies. Jesus loved us to the point where he was willing to go to the cross and die in our place, sacrificing himself so that we can know eternal life and salvation. Jesus said in John 15 verse 13, greater love, that word love there in John 15 13 is agape. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3 verse 16, by this we know love, that he, Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now that word agape, as I said, is a special love, and it um, uh, was a word that when the translators of the King James Version we're looking for a word to use in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. They, they use, they pick the word charity because it was so hard to try to come up with a word that actually they could put there and translate the true meaning of what Paul was saying. So agape was rare in Greek literature until the New Testament was written. Then the world first understood the real meaning of this kind of love. And so the translators um, uh, took the word and they used charity. And then we read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So love is the most important aspect of the fruit of the Spirit because it produces all the others. It's the primary fruit. You can have joy, you can have peace, you can have patience, you can have kindness, but you can't have them without first having love. Um, in Colossians, Paul switched his metaphors from fruit to clothing. Uh, he, he, he challenged believers to take off the old dirty clothes of the sinful nature and to clothe ourselves in the nature of Christ when he wrote in Colossians chapter 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect Harmony. Stuart Briscoe tells the story of a teenager who um, used to climb down an old fruit tree that grew by his bedroom window. And the teenager loved that tree because he would use it as an escape from his bedroom at night so he could go and hang out with his friends. 
One day his dad said, I'm going to cut that tree down uh, because it's just not bearing fruit. It hasn't borne fruit in years. Well, you can imagine that boy was concerned because his escape route now was going to be gone. So he got together with his buddies and they went out and bought a bushel of apples. And they came back and they carefully tied those apples to the limbs of that tree. When his father came home, the boy said, Dad, look, the tree, it's born fruit, it's got apples. And he says, isn't that a miracle? And his father said, son, the greater miracle is, is that tree is a pear tree. Friend, we can't produce fruit. God never expected us to produce fruit on our own. You cannot love somebody in your own power, especially unconditionally or sacrificially. You and I cannot love the unlovely without the Spirit of God producing this um, uh, virtue in us. So what is required? You have to have the Lord Jesus himself living in your life. And when Jesus lives in us, it's our job not to produce fruit, but to let Jesus produce fruit through us. Our job is to bear fruit. As we are connected to Christ, the vine, we bear the fruit of love. Well, so how do we do this? The second point I want to make concerning love is God's love for us results in our love for others. The only way that you and I can pass on the love of God is to know how deeply God loves you. Friend, do you realize how deeply you are loved by God? I'm not just asking cognitively that you know in your head that God loves you. You've read the verses, um, uh, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son. You've read the word of God. You've, you've, you believe the word of God is true when it says that God loves me. But do you really understand that the sovereign God of the universe loves you. In spite of all of the things that may be wrong about your life, all the junk in your past, all the things that are going on within you, God loves you deeply. John wrote his first letter of First John to young Christians to help them grow into maturity. And the theme of this, the entire letter of 1 John is love. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What comes to mind when you think of God's love towards you? Friend, it's not just a small drop of love. It is a tidal wave of love that God shows towards you and me. 
I read about a woman who <clears throat> grew up on the uh, Great Plains during the Depression. She had lived all her life in poverty. And as she was getting older and nearing death, she told her grandchildren that she had always wanted to see the ocean. And so they bundled her up in the car and they drove for three days to the Pacific Ocean. And there they carried the elderly lady to a bluff overlooking the vast Pacific Ocean. As the lady looked, she began to cry. Her family said, Grandma, what's the matter? Are you sad that you've never seen the ocean before? And as tears trickled down her face, she smiled and said, Oh, no. I'm just happy to finally see something that God made plenty of. <laughs> Friend, Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus was that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Earlier I mentioned some of the secular songs that have love in the title. But the very best love songs are ones that we sing in church. Songs like Jesus Loves Me, Love Lifted Me, or Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. But of all the songs about God's love, my favorite lyrics come from the song that we sang earlier, The Love of God. Of all the songs of God's love, these lyrics, in my opinion, explain the love of God better than any other. Written in 1915 by a Nazarene pastor named Frederick Lehman, the chorus, if you'll remember, goes, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. The third stanza of that song is adapted from a Jewish poem that is over a thousand years old. It was written at a time when scribes used to use quills, long feathers with tips dipped in bottles of ink to write words on parchment. It goes like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Friend, let me translate that for you. Fill up all the seven seas of the world with ink, trillions and trillions of gallons. Then stretch a roll of paper from one side of the universe to the other. Then take every stick and every tree branch on earth and make it a pen. Then give everyone on earth all seven billion plus people one of those pens and have them write about God's love. They would drain the oceans 
and fill up the sky. But still it wouldn't be enough to cover even a tiny fraction of how much God loves you. And how great is the love of God. Understanding how great God's love is for me should compel me to love others. The fact that God loves me unconditionally, the fact that in His grace He chooses to love me in spite of all the junk in my life, why would I ever think that I am beyond loving anyone else? For God so loved the world, not just Rick Bird, the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The third point I want to make is, I can only love others by letting Jesus love them through me. In John, 1 John chapter 4, John wrote these words, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. In one Snoopy cartoon, Linus says to Lucy, I love humanity. It's just people I can't stand. (laughs) Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you can relate to Linus. Let's face it. Some people are just downright hard to love. Lee Zell wrote in his book, Porcupine People, Learning to Love the Unlovable, love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Let me say that again. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And then he says, that perfectly describes God's love for us. Have you ever said this about someone? That person is unlovable. It's kind of like when we say a person is unteachable. Have you ever said a person is unlovable? I have. But you know what? It's not true. You know why? You may not be able to love them, but God loves them. Therefore, they are lovable. No one is unlovable. God loves everyone. For God so loved the world. My responsibility is to let God, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who indwells me, to let him love the unlovely, to love them as God loves them. But don't use the excuse, well, they're just unlovable. No one is beyond the love of God. Friend, take a moment. 
if you will, and envision the face of the person that you have the hardest time loving and accepting. This person gets on your very last nerve. Okay? That person, that's who I want you to think about. And when you see them coming, this person comes, your first thought is, oh no. They may be a family member. They may be a friend of a friend. It may be a co-worker. It may be a fellow church member. It may be your boss. Or it may be a neighbor. Picture that person in your mind. Now let me ask you. Do you believe Jesus loves him or her? If so, will you allow Jesus to begin loving them through you? You see, that's the demonstration of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says, this is what the Christian looks like. One who can love everyone. Even the unlovely, not because it's their job to produce the love, but to allow Christ to produce the love through me towards them. Scripture tells us the night that Jesus was crucified, he was at the Passover meal with his disciples. The job of washing feet always fell on the lowliest slave. The disciples were so full of themselves and their own self-importance that none of them got up and were willing to stoop to wash one another's feet. So Jesus got up and went around and washed each one of those disciples' feet, including Judas. Now, he's the Son of God. He knew Judas and what he had already done and what he was going to do later that night. And yet, Jesus, because he loved Judas even when he Aired, even when he betrayed Christ, Jesus showed him unconditional love. Friend, if Jesus loved Judas and could wash his feet, don't you think he can love that unlovely person in your life through you? One evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is that because Jesus lives in you, he uses you to love others, even those who are hard to love. During World War I, a man died in combat in France. His two friends wanted to give him a proper burial. 
And so they found a cemetery in a nearby village. It happened to be a Roman Catholic cemetery, and the dead soldier was Protestant. When the two friends found the priest in charge of the cemetery, they asked permission to bury their friend. The priest refused because the man wasn't Catholic. Seeing their disappointment, he said, but I tell you what, you can bury your friend right outside the fence. And so they did. They buried the dead soldier, their friend, outside the fence, surrounding the cemetery. Later, those two friends returned to visit their friend's grave, but they couldn't find it. Concerned, they looked up the priest who was still running the cemetery, and they asked him, what happened to our friend's grave? The priest told them that not long after they had buried their friend, he couldn't sleep at night, and it bothered him so much to what he had told the friends to do, to bury their friend outside the fence, that the priest had taken the fence and moved it back so that their friend was now inside the fence. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you need to move the fence surrounding your heart so that it includes someone that you have refused to end to your heart? Is there somebody who needs your love? More importantly, they need God's love. But God wants to show them His love through you. Are you willing to tear down the fence if need be? In fact, don't even put a fence back up. Just leave it laying there. So that in your mind you can say there is no one that God puts in my life that I will forevermore refuse to love. But when you and I get to that place, we are on the way to demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. And when you get that one nailed down, when God begins to produce the fruit of love in your life, the rest of them will be a piece of cake. They will be that much easier because I'm convinced love is first because Jesus wants us to know when that one is right, the rest will follow. Remember, fruit is the outward expression of an inner nature. An apple growing on a tree identifies that tree as an apple tree. When you love unlovely people, you are identifying yourself as a child of God. You are walking by the Spirit, and you are producing 
the fruit of the Spirit. May God help us to become lovely people. People who understand the love of God. How vast and wide and high and deep is the love of God for me. And to show that love, that same love to all those people God puts in my path.